We're going to uh, pick up our reading this morning in verse 48 of chapter 32, but our focus for the sermon will be on the entirety of uh, Deuteronomy 33. As I said during the announcements, we are nearing the end of our time in the book of Deuteronomy. Just one more chapter to go, which, Lord willing, we will uh, cover next week. And so, beginning of December, we will uh, jump right into the Gospel of John. And I'm very, very much looking forward to beginning that series. And for however long it takes us to get through the Gospel of John, I plan on taking my time with that one, uh, to reflect together on the glory of Christ and to see who he is and what he has done in um, the Gospel of John for his people. Uh, But today, Deuteronomy uh, 32, beginning in verse 48, let's, let's give our attention to listen closely to what God has to say to his people today. The word of the Lord. That very day, the Lord spoke to Moses, go up this mountain of the Abiram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, And view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession. And die on the mountain which you go up, and be gathered to your people. As Aaron your brother uh, died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. And because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. This is the blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Yes, he loved his people. All his holy ones were in his hand. So they followed in your steps, receiving direction from you. When Moses commanded us a law as a possession for the assembly of Jacob. Thus the Lord became king in Jeshurun. When the heads of the people were gathered all the tribes of Israel together. Let Reuben live and not die, but let his men be few. And this he said of Judah, Hear, O Lord, the voice of Judah, and bring him in to his people. With your hands contend for him, and be a help against his adversaries. And of Levi, he said, Give to Levi your thumim and your urim, to your godly one whom you tested at Massa, with whom you quarreled at the waters of Meribah, who said of his father and mother, I regard them not. He disowned his brothers and ignored his children, for they observed your word and kept your covenant. They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless, O Lord, his substance and accept the work of his hands. Crush the loins of his adversaries, of those who hate him, that they rise not again. Of Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. And of Joseph, he said, blessed by the Lord be his land. 
with the choicest gifts of heaven above and of the deep that crouches beneath, with the choicest fruits of the sun and the rich yield of the months, with the finest produce of the ancient mountains and the abundance of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwells in the bush. May these rest on the head of Joseph, on the pate of him who is prince among his brothers, a firstborn bull. He has majesty, and his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he shall gore the peoples, all of them to the ends of the earth. They are the ten thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. And of Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and Issachar in your tents. They shall call peoples to their mountain. There they offer right sacrifices, for they draw from the abundance of the seas and the hidden treasures of the sand. And of Gad he said, Blessed be who, uh, he who enlarges Gad. Gad crouches like a lion. He tears off arm and scalp. He chose the best of the land for himself. For there a commander's portion was reserved. And he came with the heads of the people. With Israel he executed the justice of the Lord and his judgments for Israel. And of Dan he said, Dan is a lion's cub that leaps from Bashan. And of Naphtali, he said, O Naphtali, sated with favor and full of the blessing of the Lord, possess the lake and the south. And of Asher, he said, Most blessed of sons be Asher. Let him be the favorite of his brothers and let him dip his foot in oil. Your bars shall be iron and bronze and as your days, so shall your strength be. There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, Destroy. So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine whose heavens dropped down dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. We know that words are powerful, especially last words. Uh, this truth is brought home to me by the story of a woman who survived Auschwitz after uh, both of her parents were lost. She and her little brother, who was only eight years old at the time, were loaded onto a train to be taken to a concentration camp in German-occupied Poland. And when they were traveling, she looked down at her little brother and saw that he had forgotten his shoes. And in that moment, she, she said to her brother, why are you so stupid? Why can't you just keep your stuff together? Now surely those are not the worst things a teenager has said to their, youngest, their younger sibling, but in this case, it was the last words that she ever spoke 
to her little brother who she never saw again. Last words bear special significance, don't they? They stick with us. And we see this reality in a more positive way throughout the Bible. An example is like Jacob gathering his 12 sons together to bless them on his deathbed. Or the example of Jesus, as we saw it in uh, Luke's gospel, at the end of the gospel, before ascending into heaven, Jesus spoke one last word of blessing before ascending into heaven. And we see the same pattern here with Moses in Deuteronomy 33. All of Deuteronomy, I've said this before, all of Deuteronomy is a kind of farewell address as Moses prepares Israel for life without him. But our passage contains the very last words of Moses. There's nothing after this. And although in the end he had many reasons to be frustrated with the children of Israel who provoked him to anger at the waters of Meribah, in a way that prevented him from entering into the promised land, Moses' final words in Deuteronomy 33 are remarkably free of bitterness and full of blessing. And like Jacob, who blessed his 12 sons before his death at the end of Genesis, Moses now blesses not 12 sons, but 12 tribes. And it is his last and final act of leadership to pronounce a benediction. At the end of Deuteronomy 32, we saw that Moses was commanded to ascend Mount Nebo, where he will be given this mountaintop view, this panoramic view of the promised land, the land of Canaan. And then he's told in no uncertain terms that he will die. His, his work is nearly done. There's just one final thing to do. And that is for Moses to proclaim blessing over the people of God. Blessing, beloved, gets the last word. So let's explore this benediction today in three parts, which you'll find outlined in your bulletins. First, God's love in verses 1 through 5. God's blessing in verses uh, 6 through 25. And finally, God's protection in verses 26 through 29. First, God's love for his people. In verse 2, Moses begins by saying, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from <clears throat> Seir upon us. He shone from Mount Paran. He came <coughs> from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at his right hand. Here the Lord is, is being described uh, as a divine warrior and king who comes forth to, to lead his people and to direct their steps, to direct their way. And I wonder, pay, pay attention to the details here. I wonder if you notice that like the ironic benediction in Numbers 6, which says, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Did you notice how Moses' benediction is full of light? There's, there's no such thing, I think we could say, there's no such thing as a blessed life without light. And here in Deuteronomy 33, the light of God is closely associated 
with the law of God, the giving of the law, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So pay attention here to the way the words go. The light of God is associated with the law of God given at Mount Sinai, but that's not all. It's also associated with the love of God, where Moses then goes on to say, yes, he loved his people. And so put all that together, what do we have? We have light, we have law, and we have love. Yes, he loved his people. And we need to appreciate the significance of this being Moses' final word to Israel. Again, last words bear special significance. You, you focus on the things when you deliberately know these are your last words. You, you will focus on what you want your audience to know. And this is what ought, is, Moses wants Israel to know. Yes, the Lord loved his people. But more than that, I think we need to also appreciate that these, these are more than merely Moses' words. This is Moses speaking as prophet, declaring the word of the Lord to the people of God, and God is declaring his love in no uncertain terms to Israel. As we think about what this means for our own Christian lives, I think, I think it's worth recognizing that sometimes, sometimes we doubt the love of God, don't we? Sometimes we, we struggle to really believe that God loves us without qualification. And so we, we, need, we need a passage like this to proclaim it, to declare it to us in absolutely clear terms. Yes, he loves his people. The Puritan John Owen recognized in his time that a lot of Christians struggle here. A lot of Christians need help here. He says that Many Christians lack the joy and the freedom and the glad obedience that God wants his people to experience because they are not settled in their hearts on the love of God. And he says that until we know, if I can put it this way, until we know in our bones the love of the Father, every other discovery of God, Owen says, will only make us fearful. Owen identifies this as one of the great burdens that keeps people from really enjoying the Christian life and from growing in the Christian life. They don't know for one reason or another just how much God really loves them. Owen says that what the Father, listen to this, what the Father wants us to know First and foremost, those are my words, but that's what he's saying. First and foremost is that he loves you. And, and he's proven that, hasn't he? He has shown that. He has displayed it in no uncertain terms by giving us his very best. By delivering up his own beloved son to redeem us, to make us sons, to make us his children. And this passage shows us that Owen, Owen is absolutely right with this emphasis. With Moses' final words to the people, 
the heartbeat of his message is this. Yes, the Lord loves his people. One more thing from Owen. Owen says, exercise your thoughts on this very thing, the eternal, free, and fruitful love of the Father, and see if your hearts are not made to delight in him. Sit down a little at the fountain, and you will quickly have a further discovery of the sweetness of the streams. That brings us to the second thing I want us to see here, God's blessing of the tribes in verses 6 through 25. And here Moses proclaims distinct blessings on the distinct tribes of Israel. There's a lot happening here. So what I I want to do is I want to run through them quickly so we can get a sense of the blessings promised. And then I want us to step back from these blessings far enough to stand on the other side of the empty tomb to see their ultimate significance. The first tribe is Reuben. That he live, that the tribe of Reuben live and not die. Life, not death, is God's will revealed for his people in this blessing. The second blessing is for royal Judah, and the blessing here reflects Jacob's prayer back in Genesis 49, that Judah would be able to fulfill the the kingly task of ruling over his adversaries, a king to protect the people and to rule. The third blessing is for Levi, and this is one of the most detailed blessings. And we'll come back to why that is in just a second, but this blessing is related to various aspects of Levi's priestly vocation. The tribe of Levi was given the honor of the priesthood and was given the responsibilities, which can be summarized as teaching the law to the people of God and to offering sacrifices on behalf of the people of God. And Levi's blessing ends with a prayer that the Lord would bless his labors and accept the work of his hands and crush his enemies. A priest teach and make intercession on behalf of the people. A priest who has victory over his enemies. Now just as a brief aside, again I said this is one of the most detailed blessings and we might wonder why that is. I think part of the answer has to do with Levi's zeal for the Lord. Uh, In verse 9, the events that are being recalled are the events that recorded in Exodus 32, where Moses, you remember, came down off the mountain to witness the whole golden calf incident. And and when Moses saw how, how the people had just broken loose into idolatry, Moses stood at the gate of the camp and asked the question, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And we read in Exodus 32, all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And Moses said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people 
fell. This is, this is Levi's zeal to the covenant Lord. When the sons of Levi responded to the call to fight on the Lord's side, even when the sword of God's justice would be against their very own brothers. You know, who in service of the demands of divine justice would forsake family? That's essentially the question that <coughs> was being asked by Moses. And on this occasion, only the sons of Levi stood up. And I think this example of, of covenant faithfulness under the covenant of Moses, of course, anticipates, however, the, the, the words of the Lord Jesus himself in the Gospel of Luke 14, verse 26, where Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his life, he cannot be my disciple. See what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, even in the most tragic of circumstances, when we are confronted with the choice, and the choice is either love God or love my closest kin. Followers of Jesus act like Levi and choose the Lord's side. Now, who can make such a claim on our lives? The reality is only the Lord God can claim such absolute allegiance of us. And the reality is here's the Lord Jesus doing exactly that. To be clear, again, when the choice is either love God or devotion to family, when those two things are at odds with each other, followers of Jesus choose to love the Lord because our allegiance to him must trump all other claims. And I love to tell you all the time that Jesus never requires something of us that he himself has not done. And you remember that Jesus himself lived this way in his earthly ministry to save us. You remember at times when Jesus uh, <clears throat> began preaching, his own family members stood up and said, you've got to stop saying these things in public. You're going to get yourself into trouble. But Jesus kept, he just kept preaching the truth. He, he remained loyal to his father. But again, coming back to the, to the promised blessing, the promise to Levi is a priestly one. Priests to teach the law and to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. Uh, the next blessing goes to Benjamin in, in verse 12. As the beloved of the Lord, Benjamin is kept safe. God surrounds him all day and dwells between his shoulders. It's the promise of affection and protection. In verses 13 through 17, Joseph, later Ephraim and Manasseh, is Blessed with the abundance of the earth. And, and the description here is, is astounding. Choice gifts from heaven above and the deep beneath. Choice fruits, rich yields, finest produce, abundance. That's the, that's the picture here. The best of the best from the earth in its fullness. It is the promise and picture of overflowing abundance. And in verses 18 through 21, Zebulun, Issachar, and Gad are blessed. Notice, notice the language in verse 18 of Zebulun going out and Issachar in your tents. It's what 
commentators call a merism. It's, it's, it's meant to summarize the whole. Uh, Daniel Block suggests this is intended, right? Going in and going out. We're going out and going in. It's a Hebrew way of saying all of life, all of life, wherever they are, they will have reason to rejoice because of God's overflowing blessing. And then notice this blessing uh, and this rejoicing is related to their calling other people to their mountain to offer right sacrifices. The people in view here are, are outsiders, strangers, Gentiles even, strangers to the covenants of promise, as Paul puts it, who are being called to ascend the mountain and serve the Lord. Verse 20, God's blessing takes the form of enlargement, and notice that it is God himself who will expand Gad. And finally, in verses 22 through 25, Dan, Naphtali, and Asher receive blessing, and the blessing emphasizes victory over enemies, strength, and favor among God's people. I know that probably felt like a bucket of information being poured out upon us, but let's step back now and ask the question, what are we to take away from these blessings? What are we supposed to see here? What is the message of these blessings set before us? And brothers and sisters, I want us to appreciate this morning that the message is nothing less than the gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to, to appreciate that, first, first we need to understand uh, and reckon with the place of a father's blessing here. We need to understand the way that this uh, benediction is told. We are meant to see this as a deathbed blessing. Just like Jacob blessing his 12 sons, here is Moses, now a fatherly figure of Israel, blessing the 12 tribes of Israel. <coughs> He's about to die. And this is his fatherly benediction. Now my point here is not that this is a pattern that we, as any of us who are fathers, are morally obligated to follow. That's not the point. After all, Moses is not merely a fatherly figure. He is a prophet. As he's described in uh, this very chapter, he's identified as the man of God. That is a formal title given to prophetic figures in the Old Testament, people who are appointed by God himself as spokespersons for the Lord, spoke the word of God to the people of God. And this gives a unique authority to his words because his words are not his own, but the words of the Spirit spoken through him. And so in another respect, we need to appreciate that this is God's fatherly benediction spoken over Israel, his son. And then secondly, we need to appreciate Israel's identity as God's son. Now Moses pronounces distinct blessings to distinct tribes within the body of Israel. But let's not forget that Israel is corporately one. One body, one adopted son of the Lord. In Exodus 4 verse 22, the Lord told Moses, to say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, 
Israel is my firstborn son. And so Israel collectively is one heir of the blessings of the kingdom of the Lord. So where does that, where does that leave us? Big picture, a father's blessing, a son's inheritance. How, though, how are these blessings fully realized? How are they brought to their fulfillment? Surely, surely there was a realization of these promises in the history of Israel under the Old Covenant, right? During the Old Testament times. But these blessings find their fullness, they find their fulfillment in Jesus, the Father's faithful Son. Remember what I've been saying throughout our series in Deuteronomy, that Jesus is true Israel. Jesus embodied Israel's story and brings it to its fulfillment. And as true Israel, as God's faithful Son, as God's covenant keeping son, he received the promised inheritance. You see, the wonder of the gospel is that the inheritance that he receives, the inheritance that is his by by right, he freely shares with his people. The inheritance of the obedient son of God, God's faithful son, is our inheritance. If we were just to scan over these blessings again, we could say in Christ we we have life. In Christ we have a king who defeats all of his and our enemies. In Christ we have a zealous priest who teaches us the word of God and ever lives to make intercession for us. In Christ, in the beloved, we are loved and kept safe. In him we are satisfied with an abundance of good things. In him we participate in calling upon the nations of the earth to ascend the hill of the Lord and to offer right worship. And we see his kingdom enlarged as more and more are brought in by faith. You see, Jesus secured all of this in his life, death, and resurrection. And according to 1 Peter our, our inheritance is being kept in heaven for us and will be fully revealed when Jesus appears. You see, the, the inheritance promised to Israel in the Old Testament forms and shadows of blessing within the land, a place of rest, a place of peace, a place of abundance, a place of life with God in their midst, this is the very inheritance that Jesus has secured for all of his people across all time. And in the fullness, we have, at the end of the day, we have to say God himself is our inheritance in the splendor of a new creation. God with us in a world made new. And so as we, as we reflect on these diverse blessings promised to the tribes of Israel, what we discover is that they all resolve in one person who is all of these things at once. And he is all of these things for all of his people. 
It doesn't matter if you're from one of the tribes of Israel. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Gentile. None of it has any bearing on the inheritance of the saints. Because so long as we belong to the one true and faithful Son, then every blessing is as much ours as it is another who belongs to this same Jesus by faith. And since the story of Israel is resolved in the one true Son, the one true Israelite, the one true vine, all of the diverse promised blessings, you see they're, they're funneled into this one person, this one faithful son. So that if we are united to him, we receive and enjoy every one of God's promised blessings. Is it any wonder why at the end of this, Moses says, happy are you, O Israel. We receive every lofty blessing promised to the tribes of Israel in their fullness, in their substance. See, we, we get the reality, not just the Old Testament symbols given to God's people to teach them and prepare them. In the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are the recipients of the blessings of life, dominion, protection, abundance, fellowship. We, we participate in the privileges of calling other people in to ascend the hill of the Lord with cleansed hands and purified hearts and offer acceptable worship through Jesus Christ. Seeing the kingdom of our Lord expanded by the Lord himself as he gathers his people in. So this is the wonder of the gospel. We share in the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ over all of his and our enemies. You see, it's all, it's, all, it's all ours in and through Christ. So again, we come back to the words, yes, the Lord has loved his people, hasn't he not? This brings us to the third part of the benediction in verses 26 through 29. It's God's, the focus here is God's perfect protection of his people, of his loved ones. Moses brings not only this benediction to an end, but all of his words to a final conclusion in verses 26 through 29. He says, There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, Destroy so Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine whose heavens dropped down the dew. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and you shall tread upon their backs. There's just so much to say about these wonderful words, but two things stand out. Let me draw your attention to them quickly. First, the security of God's people, the security God's people enjoy under the protection of God. Who is it? Ask the question. Who is the one who comes to help Jeshurun? Who, well, that's, a, that's an affectionate title for Israel. Okay? Who is it that comes to our help? Moses describes him as the incomparable one who rides through the heavens, through the skies, in his majesty. 
Now, here's a truth to, to remember. That whatever happens in this life, beloved, whatever happens in this world, God's people are secure because the Lord himself is their protector. But, but we, we need to take it further than that. That's not enough because Moses says more than that. He's not only our protector, he is our dwelling place. He is our true home. He is where you belong. The Lord is the dwelling place of his people, the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator, the mighty divine warrior who shines forth, provides a safe and secure home for his people to keep them in perfect peace. <clears throat> what, a, what a word, what a timely word that is in our own day that's filled with uncertainty. I think we all feel that, you know, we're wondering what's, what's going to happen. What's going to happen in the Middle East? What's, what's going to happen in other parts of the world? Is there, <clears throat> is there going to be World War III? What's going to happen to America? It just seems like there's so much societal decay that is happening in our lifetime. Or maybe, maybe the uncertainty is even closer to home in your life. Maybe you, you see it right before your eyes. Now, what do we need to do when we're feeling that uncertainty? We need to remember the bigger story, don't we? There, there is none like God, and this eternal God is your eternal home. And underneath you, right now, are the everlasting arms. You are safe, you are secure, a people loved by the Lord who is the shield of your help and the sword of your triumph. It is no wonder that among Moses' final words to God's people are these. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you. Think, think on your blessings in Christ. And when you do, you'll see that whatever is going on in the world or in your life, that you have reason to rejoice. The final, final thing we need to see here is how Moses' very last words in the law contain an echo of the very first words of the gospel. I love this. this is, I think this is thrilling. Again, remember, remember Israel's story is fulfilled in Christ. With that in mind, look at Moses' final word, which is, a word of, which is a declaration of victory, isn't it? Your enemies shall come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. Now, you do not have to be a biblical scholar to see how the last words of Moses contain an unmistakable echo of the very first words of the gospel declared in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. When the Lord declared to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. And in the most unexpected way, Jesus accomplished, fulfilled this promise on the cross. Jesus, Jesus tread upon our enemy, the devil, 
by dying and getting them back up again. And now he sits at the Father's right hand where the Father has spoken to him the words of Psalm 110. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He must, he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. You see, if you belong to this Jesus, you are perfectly safe. Ultimately, you are perfectly safe because of a promise that God the Father made to God the Son. And he will keep that promise, beloved. He will tread upon his enemies. And so as you look at this benediction, see God's promise protection. See his overflowing blessing that comes to you in Christ and know in your heart of hearts, God loves his people. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for an even better mediator than Moses. For Jesus, who ascended another hill to die so that he could speak a better word of blessing to us. We thank you for loving your people, for giving blessing upon blessing to us in your faithful Son. And we thank you for the promise of keeping us, bearing us up in your everlasting arms until you bring us safely home to yourself, our everlasting home. And we thank you and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.